What's going on, everyone? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. Today, we are going to get into some Q&A, which I'm excited for because I, I posted this on Instagram and excited to go through some questions here. Now, I haven't reviewed them in a little while. It was a couple weeks ago that I posted this, and I wanted to have it so that I could do um, a Q&A episode just because I feel like it's been a while. You know, a lot of people on social media, podcasts, things like that, they do their little uh, uh, get to know you like introduction posts or whatever. And so this week, I was thinking about recently just how I need to do my story again. Like I haven't felt like I've given my testimony or my life story in a long time. And so I might do that here soon. It's possible that when this comes out that I've already done it because today's Friday. This episode's coming out next Friday. And I'm thinking about doing uh, my podcast for Monday. It's either going to be about men and masculinity or it's going to be about my life story. I haven't decided yet. but. Nevertheless, let's get into some question and answer. Before we do that, though, I've got some fun news. I have bought some new equipment. Um, if you're watching, hopefully I'm going to start more consistently posting the video. I got to get into a good routine with that, which is definitely going to take some time. But I have uh, a new little podcast arm, which I like. So if you're watching this on video, you probably see that. And that's been really awesome. I also have uh, new headphones on the way. So I got new podcasting headphones, which will hopefully help me with some audio quality stuff. And then I am going to um, be hooking up. It's going to be a couple weeks. So I got some travel and stuff coming up. But I did order finally a new, nicer camera. So we're going to have a camera, a little bit of a better setup. I'm going to be working out some things here in my office slash studio. And I'm super hyped for it because I've been wanting to do camera and like high quality video content for a long time talking with a couple people to see who will be able to help me with editing video. So thank you to the people who reached out to me to help with that or to offer people who might be able to help. And so that's all coming up and I'm super, super pumped for it. Um, but let's dive in to, or, or no, with all of that, just want to say thank you to the local supporters because you guys not only helped, I, I invested a lot of my own money into it as well. But just seeing the support, seeing the encouragement, seeing the people who signed up to be monthly supporters uh, was super encouraging to me. And so that helped me to just take the next leap in it. And it's not going to be, you know, like full-blown studio quality, but we're going to be a huge step up and be able to have some good video content, which will hopefully be able to lead to more social media content as well as more, um, a lot more stuff on YouTube. So going to be hopefully chunking up some of the uh, longer podcasts to put clips on YouTube and uh, be able to do more live stream stuff and all kinds of things. So I am uh, very, very excited for this. Now let's get into some Q&A. Let's get into some Q&A today. So first question came in from my wife that says, why are you the way that you are? And there's lots of questions to that. That's probably an hour long podcast on my story, <laughs> my life story, which is explain why I am the way that I am. The truth is, this is what she doesn't want you to know is that she loves me the way that I am. So knucklehead, crazy, controversial and all. She's here for it. Sometimes it's mildly overwhelming, but most of the time she's a big fan. Next question. What's something you're passionate about that we don't know yet? This might be something that is a surprise to both of us or news to both of us. That I feel like I very recently discovered is I love fantasy football. I don't think that's that surprising because I'm very passionate about football in general. But I really, really like fantasy football. I don't know that I've expressed that I'm as into golf as I really am. 
I like both watching golf and playing golf, I think is really, really fun. Um, I've kind of shared this on the podcast before, but I'm very into real estate. Um, I love looking at houses and not just like Zillow shopping, but I like running the numbers on houses. I'm, I'm planning and hopefully going to in the next 12 months be buying another rental property. And so I want to document some of that journey and stuff as well, just to kind of talk people through it and make it seem more accessible to more people. So that is, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I'm really passionate about. I don't think there's too many other things. I really like reading, but I feel like none of this is surprising or things that I don't know or that you don't know about. I feel like I'm a pretty open book. So there's not too much there. And then next question is, do you have any advice for catechumens? This is great because Emily and I just started volunteering, as you probably heard me say recently, at our RCIA uh, classes at our parish. So we're going to be table leaders walking with some catechumens and candidates through their journey from baptism up to confirmation. And so um, my advice for catechumens, man, you know, being a convert myself, I'm very passionate about converts. I think converts make great Catholics. They make great spouses. They make great evangelists in many ways. Um, and my advice for them is just to, it's kind of like the advice, and I, I just recently heard this again, because Hallow is going through the imitation of Christ. If you haven't joined that challenge, I recommend it because this book is fire. But Thomas Akempis, at the beginning, the author of The Imitation of Christ, makes this kind of encouragement or gives this kind of encouragement to those who will read the book. And he says, don't be detoured by the way of perfection when you hear about the perfect. Instead, he says, be inspired to strive to attain it. Be inspired to strive for perfection, to strive for greatness. And I think there's this temptation, especially in Catholicism, because it seems like there's this idea and this kind of stereotype that there's so many rules. And there's this temptation to think about what's the bare minimum I can do and still be a good Catholic. Like now, if you're coming from non-denom or if you're coming from nothing, you're like, okay, I got to go to church on Sunday. I can't sleep around. I can't watch pornography. I can't do this, whatever it might be. But I, I encourage you to not just look at the, the minimums and the baseline. I encourage you to have a good understanding of the minimums and the baseline. But also think about the ways that you can strive for greatness in your Catholicism, in your walk with Christ. How can you truly strive to be a modern day saint? That's something that hopefully is encouraging to you, inspiring, and will help you to, to strive a little bit higher, help you to take the classes a little bit more seriously. Take your RCIA classes as though you're planning to teach RCIA or you're planning to teach the faith. I think that's always a massive difference. It was really helpful for me as an infantry officer to say, okay, I'm not just taking these classes for me. I actually have to teach this and, and lead by example, right? So it's not just like a Spanish class that you're just trying to get over with because you're never going to speak Spanish again. You're actually going to be leading patrols as a platoon leader. And so you need to know the tactics of what each soldier is supposed to do at different points in time and know how to do it yourself so you can teach it and show them. And so that's how I think we should all go through Catholic school, you know, when we go to talks and things like that. Like, it's so sad to me how many people go to mass, to Catholic events, read books, and it's just, it's just for them. I've never understood that, how you want to be a place where the information stops versus being a channel through which the information flows. And so think about it that way. You're going to be leading and evangelizing, and you have to answer the question, as St. Peter talks about in his letters in Scripture, to have a good answer for anybody who asks you for a reason for the hope that's inside you. 
you're going to have to give that. And you're going to tell people you're joining the Catholic Church. You're not going to be an expert on everything right away, but have some expectations for yourself. And, you know, strive to actually be able to share some type of reason as to why you're becoming Catholic. Next question. Thoughts on Vivek? Um, that is a good question. Uh, I, I really liked Vivek. I was kind of on this like a Vivek super fan train before the debates, honestly. And at the debate, I didn't like how he acted. I was, so this is Vivek Ramaswamy. For those who don't know, he's running for president. Um, he's an Indian American who is, I believe, a billionaire for um, some biotech companies and things that he started and ran. Super successful in business, really smart, went to like Yale Law and all kinds of things. And so I think he's the best in long form discussions. I have never seen somebody who's running for office actually be able to explain ideas. Trump gives his funny one liners. He has his kind of slam dunk, his jabs he throws at people. He's got his moments that make good sound bites. But you can't give Trump an unscripted hour and he's going to inspire you with a vision for America, expressing an understanding of the founding fathers, expressing an understanding of capitalism and conservative values in the way that Vivek does. But Vivek trying to be a little Trump on stage to me and like stealing other people's lines and all that stuff that he was doing, I wasn't a huge fan. To me, I think that he's probably trying to run at this point as Trump's vice president, which I do think is a good idea because I, I do think that it is not always in our best interest as a nation to elect somebody president who has no idea how the government works. Uh, I wish Trump wasn't the nominee. I wish we had somebody better. But looking at that stage, man, I mean, I'm a DeSantis fan, but I do. He's just, he's just so awkward up there. Like the fake smiles and the forced smiles and his little one-liners. Like I, all this stuff is just so corny to me. And I don't think he's winning. Um, he's not winning the primary. I mean, I think he's more electable than Trump in the general election, but he he can't win over the primary. Next question was, do you ever miss the military? surprisingly, as I've been kind of thinking recently on all this masculinity stuff, there are certain aspects of it I have missed. And I haven't thought that or said that out loud probably ever. But these last few weeks as I've really been thinking about masculinity and being challenged and, and what it did for me, I'm just so much more grateful for it. I don't know that I miss it, but there's definitely times where it feels like, man, I wish I could do PT one more time with the boys, you know? I wish I could do one more training event, one more one more week in the field just to go out there and be miserable and hungry and wet and cold and all that. Like, There's definitely part of me that misses that. And I just miss the culture. I think being in like the Denver Catholic culture, like you play basketball with guys or whatever, Like, and, and I think just being like the Midwest and the Mountain West for the last couple of years, last like three years of my life, everybody's just so nice. And I miss, uh, you know, strong-willed, hard-headed, thick-skinned guys. I do really miss that. And luckily, I still have some Army friends and stuff that are out here, so still exist. People who can take a joke and can get roasted and not cry about it, but uh, they're hard to come by. Um, this is a fun one. What's a fun fact your friends would be surprised to learn about you? Huh. What's a fun fact your friends would be surprised to learn I guess it's kind of like something you're passionate about that we don't know yet. But a fun fact, um, I don't know if all of you know this, but I actually uh, snorkeled in the Great Barrier Reef at the age of 10. So I got to go on this people-to-people -people student ambassador program. Shout out to my mom because I think she and my grandparents because they made big sacrifices for me to get to go. 
but I, uh, yeah, went snorkeling out there and, um, it was awesome. And I got to go to Australia, New Zealand. I remember the Aborigines teaching us how to throw boomerangs. That was one of my favorites. I had one really good throw that I still remember. Very proud of that moment. So I guess I'm a boomerang expert is what you could say. And maybe my friends would be surprised by that, but my friends think that I'm good at everything. So they probably wouldn't be shocked. Um, how do you think authentic Catholic colleges can be convinced to stop following the donor money and start becoming what they claim to want to be? This says in parentheses, nixing covertly racist influences and replacing with good. Um, I don't know that I fully understand that question just because I don't know necessarily what you mean by covertly racist influences. I think that uh, there's this huge challenge with Catholic colleges. I've talked about this before where I think there's this, there's this kind of this, what seems to be like a dichotomy that maybe is a false dichotomy, but I don't know anybody that does it well. Maybe, you know, you know, a school that, that doesn't have this huge divide, but I find that you have Catholic colleges, typically Newman guide schools that are very Orthodox and Catholic, but there's this huge divide between like campus ministry and athletes and other kids who are not that into their faith. There's not a great like intermixing, right? There's not really a lot of evangelization. There's a lot of formation, but not of evangelization. There's some, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the Franciscans, Benedictines, obvious. I'm not saying there's no evangelization, but I think a lot of it is formation versus evangelization. Then you have schools like my school, Mount St. Mary's, where we unfortunately lost our Numa guide after we, after I left um, college, after I graduated. But I think there's less of a divide between people on campus. There's a lot more diversity at the Mount than there was at Benedictine. And I just think that there was a lot more evangelization. You had people, I mean, my Bible study was, ROTC guys who weren't Catholic, basketball players who weren't Catholic. Um, I had track athletes in there, all kinds of different things. And so to me, and, and some of them became Catholic after that. Um, not, not totally because of me, but I think it was something that we were very good about. Reaching people who, like, who you would think would never come to church becoming Catholic, right? And I think that can be really beautiful and really awesome. Um, and I don't know how to mesh the two because th what the Mount lacks is the orthodoxy, the Catholicity of the school. But then you do get a more diverse group. There's more evangelization, but less formation that happens. I don't know the best solution to that, honestly. But one of my low-key dreams is to be a college president one day. So hopefully I'll just fix it all when I become that and gain the wisdom in between now and then. All right. Another question. Thoughts on liturgical music. What's appropriate? How does personal specificity factor in? Um, personal specificity, or I think it means more like personal preference. Um, yeah, it goes on to the next message kind of says that. So for me, liturgical music, I really like it being different from the music that I normally listen to, that we normally listen to, that we normally hear, which for me is why I really like my preference. And I know this is not the most popular trad thing. My personal preference is piano and violin, because I think it's beautiful. And it's the classical instruments, which to me feels more traditional from for me is is beauty like rap music is is good i like christian rap music not all rap music is good a lot of rap music is trash i like country music but i wouldn't call it beautiful typically you know um it's not beautiful music it's good it's entertaining it's fun it's not beautiful classical music is beautiful and i think for for church like i think a mass experience should be where we go to find truth beauty and goodness which is why I think the building should be beautiful. And it's no coincidence to me that the music stopped being beautiful when the building stopped being beautiful. 
I personally like some of the classic, like kind of classic kind of American hymns that we all sing along to. It's my understanding or, or belief. Maybe this, I don't think this is like a, a doctrine thing, but I think that in heaven, when we're all singing the song to when we're all praising God, like I think we're all going to be singing. And so I'd like uh, mass to reflect heaven as much as it can or experience of heaven be kind of a foreshadowing of heaven. And so I like being able to sing along. I think it's good, not just for me. I mean, St. Augustine says, when you sing, you pray twice. So I don't get the approach to some of this chant that's kind of coming about in some of the Novus Ordos and things where you literally, nobody knows how to do it. I get it if you train the parish on how to do it, but I've gone to some where it's like the music is nice and it's kind of chanty and traditional, but everybody just sits there and stands there silently. And I, I just don't think it's good for, in the Novus Ordo, I think we ought to participate in the Mass. If you want to say we should do a TLM and we should all just show up, shut up, and just watch, I'm for that. I, like, I, I get that, but I don't get the blending of the two. Doing the Novus Ordo and then like people not responding, right, to when the priest says, the Lord be with you. I think we ought to respond to that. I think we ought to participate in the responses when we're, when we're called to, right? Or go to the TLM where you don't have to do that. But I don't get coming to the Novus Ordo and not participating. And so I don't know why we make it hard for people to participate in the Novus Ordo with certain types of chant. Those are my thoughts. Um, This next one, will I ever get married? My dear friend, only God knows the answer to that. Uh, you're kind of a crackhead. And so maybe if you get that taken care of first, uh, the Lord will present you with with a great man. <laughs> you know who you are. Who asked that? I hope you listen to this. Uh, the next one is Catholic parochial school actually beneficial? I think it's better than public school, but I think there's a lot of Catholic parochial schools that we underestimate the damage that they do to kids. Because if you don't have actual formation and good theology and good experiences and actual encounters to Catholicism, and what I mean by that is frequent sacraments, not going to mass once a quarter, um, confession, you know, twice a year, like. If you have actual, if you have adoration and actual prayers and actual formation of the students spiritually, I think Catholic parochial school can be a huge blessing. It can be amazing. It can be well worth the money. But when you don't have that, it's almost worse than going to public school because how many people do you know? I know I know a ton that they they're adults now and they're like, yeah, I went to Catholic school. I know all of that and I reject it, and they don't know any of it. They've never, dude. I wasn't into. I don't think I had gone to adoration until I was in college. Maybe in high school, but I really don't think so. Not even at retreats or anything. I have no recollection of it if it did happen. Um, daily mass, I didn't even really know was super a thing. I kind of did. Um, and yeah, we just we didn't have any good formation. We didn't have like good speakers. We didn't have like speakers coming in or relatable people. Our religion department at our high school was weird. The weirdest collection of human beings I've ever seen. I don't know how they got hired to teach high school theology. It's crazy. Then you have schools like my sister-in-law. She teaches at a school, and she's amazing. She's a beautiful, young, fun woman, and she has a great impact on her students. All right, favorite part about being Catholic. My favorite part about being Catholic is just being right all the time. Um, that's kind of I'm, I'm being somewhat sarcastic in these, right? Because it's Q and A, so you guys are giving me a good opportunity to be uh, kind of jokey. But my favorite part about being Catholic is being right all the time. <laughs> Actually, it's just like have, being in the church that's the right one, being in the church. like I, I'm just very de dedicated to that. I always want to be right. You can ask Emily that. That's probably why she asked me why I am the way that I am. I guess it's because I'm Catholic. 
So you can blame God in a sense, since he made me, um, it's kind of his fault. But I think, yeah, being the truth is, is gotta be up there. Um, the Eucharist has to be, or the sacraments in general, the Eucharist and confession. I think that they're just like common sense. It just makes sense that God gave us these things to continue on with our, our life. And I also really appreciate the kind of faith and works approach of Catholicism. Uh, this is, this is a longer episode or something that's going to be a part of some other content I'm going to do soon for men, because I think that this part of Protestantism is very feminine as well. Very effeminate, I should say. This idea that, you know, religion is stupid and all you need is a relationship and that you're kind of a, a once and done and you're good to go and you're perfect from there. Uh, you're all set is to me just like very anti-masculine. And I think one thing that really, dis- <laughs> I think displayed this for me, and I hope Dennis Breger becomes Catholic, but I know he'll never become Protestant because he says, he, he has this thing where he, I heard him say one time, he'll never become Christian because he's a capitalist. He doesn't believe you get anything for free. And obviously there's some over, you know, overcoming the fact of salvation that we actually don't earn our salvation. We didn't earn the cross. There's certain parts of, of salvation we don't earn, but there's a lot that we do, <laughs> you know, and you kind of like you, you, you earn the grace that you get and not the grace that you get, excuse me. You earn, I, I think there's a certain aspect of like earning virtue. You earn holiness by subjecting yourself to the, the fire. Right. Um, and there's a lot of Christian songs that, that say this, you know, um, think about the, the non-denom songs. Like I want to be tried by fire, purified. There's a little singing. I think it's the first time I ever sang. I wasn't really singing though, but you know, like songs like that, like that saying you want to subject yourself to trials. You want God to put you through things and that he's like, you're, you're volunteering for that. And so to me, like when you are tried by fire, you're purified. That, that's something that you in, in a sense earn because you're partaking in it. You're willingly submitting yourself to it because when you go through suffering, you can either choose to be resentful and angry about it the entire time, or you can submit yourself to it kind of willfully and joyfully and, and allow God to transform you through it. And we call that suffering well. And to me, I love that Catholics kind of just have that. Um, yeah, ha- we have we have that and we, we promote that and we think that it's a good thing because I think that it's a good thing. Um, next one. What's your favorite thing about being a father? Wow. My favorite thing about being a father so far, my favorite like part, I guess, is coming home from work, hands down. Coming home from work with my wife being home, my dog and my son is just lit every single day. Every single day. It's super hype. I get to come home. The dog is there. She's ready. She's super excited. 10 out of 10 every day. Emily, I can hear her. She's usually in the kitchen around the corner because it's usually around dinner time. And she's like, who's that? Who's that? And she's getting Jordan hype. She's excited I'm home. And then get to see little jump man. And he's just sitting usually in his bouncer while she's cooking and he sees me and he's just like pumped. He's just like, dude, you're here. And it's just the most fun thing in the world. Having the baby that you get to be the mother or father. And you know what that means, especially when it's done well. And there's no other, like, I just, I think that we all should live to really crush the roles in life that only we can play. And Jordan Crankfield has one father and it's me. And I'm super blessed to be that man. 
And so I try to live that out and uh, be the best that I can be. Now, next question. So somebody else asked thoughts on Medjugorje. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know that much about it, so I don't have really an opinion on it. Uh, team Harry Potter is evil or team it's just fiction. Get over it. <laughs> That's really funny. I don't think I'm at a place where Harry Potter is evil. I was just listening to uh, Candace Owens on the PBD podcast on Patrick Bet David's show. And she was like really hyping Harry Potter up. I, this I know is offensive to some people. I think I've seen one, maybe two of the movies. I've read zero of the books. I'm just not really a big fiction guy. I'm not really into wizards and things like that. I think that probably shouldn't be that surprising to anybody here. I'm sure that they're engaging stories. I don't think that, to me, I don't see how, like, yes, there can be negative things about that. Yes, there can be bad things in witchcraft and wizardry and stuff like that. But to me, it's just kind of like a childhood, like a childlike, innocent story. It's kind of sci-fi. I don't see why everything in the sci-fi has to be of the devil. But at the same time, I don't think J.K. Rowling is a Catholic saint either, you know? So I think there's a distinct difference between Narnia and Harry Potter. So I'd probably say it needs to be read by older kids who are more formed in their faith. And I probably want to read it with them to kind of work out anything together that might be wrong. But I don't think that it's evil inherently. I could be wrong on that, though. I'm sure somebody could change my mind. Thoughts on trad Catholics? Um, man, I have lots. My first thought is that I love them. My second thought is that I think a lot of what they do is great. My short summary of my opinion on trad, uh, you know, the trads is lots of great stuff. I love the TLM. I love traditionalism. I love encouraging masculinity. Um, I love big families. I think that we all are called to be traditional and charismatic. As Catholics, we're called to be in touch with the Holy Spirit and to be in touch with tradition of the church. But I don't think trads do a good job marketing themselves or evangelizing. And I think that's a problem for the movement. If they think that it's a superior way to live and to achieve holiness and to achieve and to reach heaven, um, then I think that we should do a better job marketing it and promoting it to other people and maybe um, increase, you know, have like a touch of joy. My my other thought, so this just happened at the TLM. We went a few weeks ago. I took Emily. We went to confession and mass at the TLM. One thing I'll say is that going to confession with TLM priests is absolutely fire. They don't mess around. If you're, Especially if you're a man, I think if you like to be challenged, you don't just like to be coddled in the confessional. It's really great. I really love them. The one thing that I'll say is I think that sometimes – your more liberal Catholic parishes want to have Easter without Good Friday. And sometimes the the disposition of trads that you see at Mass and that I've interacted with before can sometimes seem like we have Good Friday, but no Easter. And I thought that was a really profound thing that kind of came to my my mind, my heart while I was sitting there. And I mean, it was the three of us, right? So we had Jordan with us and I was even just surprised by like, some, I think it's I think having a baby is a really fun social experiment because you get to go to all these different places with the child and see how different people react. And I will say that like the the Lord's kind of Orthodox Novus Ordo Catholics are like the most joyful. All of them like are obsessed with seeing the baby. They think he's super fun. They want to say something to you and tell you how cute he is and how excited they are for you and all this kind of stuff. 
a decent number of the tribes like looked at me holding my son and he's like smiling and they just looked at him and then like glumly looked away. And it's like, okay, maybe you're just locked in for mass or whatever, but it just kind of seems to be like this theme. Right. And you kind of get gaslit. I think sometimes by trads to be like, no, not everybody's like that. And there's glad trads. And there's all these, and it's like, but, but where, like I'm around, dude, I'm, I'm here. I'm around. I have met many of them and very few of them are joyful. And it's just, a, I think it's just a fact. And to me that like, there's something to that. There's something to that. And I've had many debates in longer podcasts to talk about that. So you can find that. But I think we need to have both Good Friday and Easter. And we need to bring back and understand we don't have one without the other. Um, who was my favorite saint? My favorite saint, guys. My favorite saint is St. Saint Thomas More. Uh, we have four saints that we pray to. St. Joseph, St. John Paul II. St. Thomas More, St. Gianna Bredamola. St. Gianna is my favorite female saint for sure. Um, she, so I went, I went a long time in my life, several years without really feeling like I had kind of a saint friend, if you will. And so, uh, what I mean by that is I always heard from a lot of people, um, like my wife, for example, she has felt like St. John Paul II has been really present in her life, that he's really pursued having a relationship with her in, in a sense shows up in different areas and different ways. It really relates to a lot of his theology, theology of the body and different things like that. And I feel like I didn't have that for a really long time until St. Thomas More. And then uh, shortly after that, St. John Mola. But St. Thomas More is absolutely my jam. Um, he's an amazing man. He's a martyr. And he is a martyr on behalf of marriage. And I think he's really a saint for our time. Just like St. Joseph is kind of coming back around, I think with this need for masculinity and patriarchy, and St. Thomas More is just great because uh, he had everything to lose. He had everything to lose. He had a family. I think he had five kids. He'd already lost his wife. So the kids had already lost their mother. He was remarried. He had worked really hard. He was a lawyer to get high up in this like political office that he was in. And he refused to sign something basically acknowledging King Henry VIII's uh, divorce and remarriage. Because he was like, you can't divorce your wife. You have no grounds to divorce her. And so he was like, this new marriage is not a valid marriage. And King Henry VIII was like, dude, I love you, but we can't have you, you know, just straight up disrespecting me. And, he, and they're like, just sign the papers, just sign the papers, just sign the papers. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. They're like, if you don't sign the papers, we're going to cut your head off. And he's like, bet. Where's the blade, son? Where's the blade, son? So St. Thomas More is a savage, man. He was just like, yo, hey, hey fam, you do what you got to do. You feel like you need to chop this head off? Go, go warm her up. Make sure it's sharp, though. Don't be hacking at me. You know what I mean? Uh, those are not uh, actual quotes attributed to him, but I like to imagine that he said that. So St. Thomas More is my favorite saint, and we should all pray to him. All right, so the next question is about tattoos. So this would be a fun place to tell some tattoo stories. So uh, the question is, thoughts about tattoos. What ones do you have, and why did you get them? Um, this is something that I think is interesting. So I did an actual podcast episode for the daily nothings, which we haven't released those yet. I need to reach out to Courtney because we both did episodes for each other's podcast and hers was largely about tattoos. The one we did for the daily nothings. And so she asked me about them, about my thoughts. If you're watching me, if you've ever seen me before, you know that I have a tattoo sleeve, which has five tattoos total. They're just really big. And then I have uh, one on my chest, one on my side. And uh, yeah, I have another one too that's hidden um, on my backside, 
my only right side of the body tattoo. My first tattoo was on my backside. This is a story I haven't told in the podcast before. So this is some juicy stuff. When I was just a boy, I'm just kidding. I was like 22. I was in the U.S. Army. And I had completed my first year of infantry training. I was a certified infantryman. I had my blue cord. And off I went to U.S. Army Ranger School. While I did my infantry training, I became close with a select group of men. We called ourselves the SCAT team. SCAT, S-C-A-T, stands for Surprise, Concentration, Audacity, and Tempo, which are the four characteristics of the offense for the United States Army. We called ourselves that because we were turds and goofballs, and we thought we were the best squad in the platoon, and we were the squad, so basically it was all alphabetical, so it was like A's and B's in first squad, C through G kind of in second squad, and so on. Now, two of my beloved SCAT team members had already gone through Ranger School and graduated while my dumbass was still in, suffering through a long six-week recycle in the mountain phase, which is the second phase of Ranger School. Ranger School has three phases, Darby, Mountains, and Florida. I was blessed to go through mountains in the wintertime and get to go to Florida in June um, because I'm one of God's favorites. So he gave me the, the worst of both worlds. Holdover period, we had nothing to do all day long. I wrote hundreds, I think, of letters. To, I think I wrote letters over 40 different people. Um, some of them were the SCAT team members. And they wrote me back and told me that two of my beloved friends had gone to Atlanta and had one or two or a few more drinks than that. And they had gone to a tattoo shop and decided to get SCAT, S-C-A-T, tattooed on a butt cheek. And so they write me back and they said, hey, when you graduate, are you down to go get the tattoo? Now, you have to understand that I'm at the lowest point of my entire life. And that is not an exaggeration. I've been through some hard times. Morally, mental health wise, or not morally, um, morale, mental health, all time low. You know, if you've ever seen the uh, the great um, the Bo Burnham uh, special. Inside, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it. It is so, so funny, man. He's like, I get this feeling in my body when I'm deep inside me. I try not to fight it. Describe it. Okay. <laughs> uh, he basically just talks about being at an all-time low. Not Atlanta, um, but an ATL. And that was me. I was at an all-time low, man. We are literally like, sometimes we were assigned for two hours to pick the rocks out of the grass. We would mow the same lawn every day. We would play baseball with a yardstick, like a like a, a yard ruler, and like a ball of tape. So it was, I mean, and it's six weeks of this, and there's nothing to do. Broken payphones we got to use like every other night. Oftentimes they didn't work. And so they asked me, are you willing to get this tattoo? And I mean, I have I got nothing going for me. You got to understand, I am, I mean, we're bottom of the barrel, you know, I am barely holding on. And so I I say, yes, of course, affirmative. Sign me up, put me in coach. I'm down. I'm in. I'm all in. Fast forward. I don't know. Damn. Two months. I pass mountains, go to swamp phase in Florida, hot as hell, muggy, tons of bugs, wading through the swamp like you've seen the TV shows and movies. 
past Florida. On my way home, you get to eat a ton because you're starving, right? You literally, I lost 20 pounds my first 21 days of ranger school. And so at this point, I'm like four months in. Your boy's thin and not a good thin. And we get back to Fort Benning. You have a couple of days of eating. You get some day passes or whatever. Finally, graduation day, you get to go home. I say goodbye to my, my dad and my nephew. We had dinner together. I had a bunch of family. I was very blessed. I had like 12 people show up for me for range school graduation, which is a very cool opportunity. If you ever have a family or friend, uh, family member or friend graduating from range school, I highly recommend going. I really hope I can take my family to one someday just so they can see it because it's so awesome. So I graduate. I'll go to dinner with my, my dad and nephew. They're super proud. We have this great moment. I say goodbye to my family. Um, or actually, no, I had dinner with my mom, my godbrother, and my uh, mom's good friend, Vicky, um, who's a really close family friend of ours, uh, basically my mom's best friend. And I'm driving back home, man. And you want to talk about, like, this is like, I've gone from the lowest of lows to now this mountain high experience. I'm now a ranger tab. It'll never take it away from me. I have my ranger tab forever, right? Amongst the greats, I've made it. You know, I did something with my life. Got a lot left to do, but it was still a really cool experience. And I'm driving home. And one thing about ranger school, it makes it really hard for a kid who was an only child like myself. Is I was basically raised as an only child. I have six half siblings. Is it's just like you never get alone time. You're always with people. And so it's really tough. And it was really hard for me because it's like, I just, and I know a lot of people think that I'm extroverted. And I think I'm 50 50 because I'm definitely very outgoing. But I really do recharge alone. And so I'm like four months on E. You know what I'm saying? No alone time. Just to sit and think, control your volume around you, control things like none of it for four months. So I'm just thinking, like, man, I'm going to go home. I'm going to drink a beer or two. I also haven't drank, you know, in four or five months. And I like to drink. And I'm like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to uh, have a beer. And I'm going to read or watch TV, watch a movie, something I'd enjoy. And so I get home to my very crappy cockroach. I wouldn't say infested, but they were present. You know, a few of them had moved in. They were present for sure. Um, but not infested, a couple steps below infested, but more than you'd like to have. And I get back to this house, hoping I don't see cockroach from across the front door. I get inside and there are five of my friends sitting at the table and they inform me that the tattoo shop is closing in about five hours or excuse me, 45 minutes. And they ask me that fateful question. Are we doing this or not? Now, I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't think that I'd have some buffer time. Between graduation and the scat tat, as we call them, getting scatted, like tatted but scatted. And at this point in my life, I have no tattoos. But I go to the bathroom like a good soldier would, regroup myself, and come back out and say, what the hell, boys? Let's get this bread. And so we ride on over to the tattoo shop. I can't remember the name of it there for bending right off the post by the, the cool entrance with the fountains and the statues, the main entrance on post. 
and we ha- we hightail it over there. <laughs> I'm first up. I didn't even get to go second. I also had to go first. And I plop down, you know, but that's what leaders do. That's what leaders do. And I go first, and uh, it hurts more than you think. That's what I'll tell you. Is you have very sensitive skin back there, and it hurts more than you think. And so that, that was the time I got scattered. And there goes my uh, tattoo story. Shortly after that, I got one of my ribs. Um, oh wait, I shouldn't, I shouldn't finish the story there. I'm sorry. And there's lots more to tell. Some, some fun stories maybe someday we'll get into um, with some guests. But the only other tale, I guess, the rest of it is now there's seven of us. One thing that's really great about the SCAT group, all seven of us graduated from Ranger School. All seven have gone on to do great things in life. Um, a, a couple of them went to Ranger Battalion. A couple became Green Berets. Uh, many of us are fathers now, married, and just a good group of men. And it's something that we all have together forever. And for me, it does take me back to that time. And that's what all the tattoos do. I mean, obviously, I don't see this one as much. But it does, you know, just being in that group of men and having that in common, it it, it does just remind me who I, uh, what I've been through and what I can go through. And what I have within me because of what's on the outside of me and what I sit on. And so it is inspiring. I think these are, these are some of the fruits of tattoos. And so I'll get into more of that. But my next tattoo is on my side, on my ribs, which also hurt really bad. And it is, if you've ever heard of Lecrae and Andy Mineo, it's their rap group logo. So they're the 116 click. And it's based on Romans 116, which says, For I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all those who believe. Um, first the Jew and then the Gentile, if I believe, if I remember correctly, is the rest of the verse. And so I got that on my side. I got uh, the next one on my chest, I believe, which is a scene from 300 with a quote from the movie Lone Survivor, which says, never out of the fight. And the scene from 300 is Leonidas standing in front of, it's like right before the, the big battle. And Leonidas is basically standing in front of his, uh, you know, his soldiers. And what I loved about that was I always felt like this kind of brings me back to like the, if you've listened to some of the recent episodes talking about like Ecclesiastes and different parts of scripture where it's like, who's going to stand in the gap for us? Who's going to be the leader? Who's going to be the one that's willing to step up? Who's going to have the courage to be first, to say what needs to be said, to do what needs to be done? Um, That's kind of what that one meant to me. And the never out of the fight, I just thought was such a great, a uh, quote from uh, Lieutenant Mike Murphy in that movie, Lone Survivor, right before he dies. And he just says it to Mark Wahlberg's character, Mark Luttrell. And his his encouragement is just like, you know, like things are really dark and bleak right now, but we're never out of the fight. And I think that's a beautiful reminder for us as Christians, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a leader. Um, that one just means a lot to me. And so I got the ribs uh, with Bob Doherty, who's one of my good friends. He's been on the podcast before. Then Chris Price and I have the uh, chest tattoo together. We also got it because of the Spartans. So the movie 300 Sparta, um, we called our childhood friend groups, the Spartans because we went to St. Mark and Mary school. Our mascot was the Spartans, et cetera. And so that was part of the inspiration for that as well. And then I got David and Goliath tattooed on my left arm. I might be going out of order. I can never remember what those two. I think I got David and Goliath before the 300 one. Um, but yeah, got David and Goliath uh, tattooed on my arm. At the same place, we got the scat tat. And then next, I got um, the next one was lion on my bicep, which for me represents Daniel. A lot of people think it's the lion of Judah, but for me, it's Daniel in the lion's den. Thinking about that, thinking about Daniel's steadfastness, his commitment, his faithfulness to God, his trust in God, 
Um, I, I often think of uh, David as trust because he says that line, which I also mentioned in a podcast recently, when he's about to go fight David and Goliath, he says, the same God that delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will deliver me from the hand of this evil Philistine. So I think of that as trust. Trusting in God, trusting in what God's done for you in the past and what he'll do for you in the future. That he's still with us. Um, for Daniel, I just think of faithfulness and um, dedication, commitment. They, uh, Daniel, you know, was challenged multiple times, whether it was eating the meat that was sacrificed to pagan gods that he refused to do, or just continuing to pray when being when praying to God was made illegal. And he just continued to do it. And they said, if you continue to this, you're going to be thrown to the lions. And he said, do it. And he just kept praying. He kept doing what God asked him to do. And the same thing goes with the next one that's on my upper arm, which is Noah's Ark and the dove. So obviously the dove is a sign of hope because Noah would send the dove out. And when it came back with the the leaf, um, it's what gave Noah the sign that the, the flood was subsiding, was going away. But I love the part of Genesis, I think it's Genesis chapter 6, where it says, and Noah did everything God commanded him. So for Noah, it's just obedience for me, um, that symbol of obedience and hope. If we're more obedient to God, we send out the signs and we believe that God will do what he said. Then I have on my forearm, the Blessed Virgin Mary and King of the Universe, Jesus Christ, on the backside. So you have the Sacred Heart, the Immaculate Heart there as well. And so those are my tattoos. And what I think about them is I think they're great. I don't think they're for everyone. I think it's a preferential thing. I think some people don't like them. Some people do. But I think that, and we've done you know longer podcasts on this. If you listen to from Instagram to engagement, we talked about this a lot uh, in our story between Emily and I and how we almost broke up over one of the tattoos and stuff. But the... Uh, yeah, for me, they're just great reminders, great symbols. They end up being good moments for evangelization. And um, and it can be a kind of a cultural thing for me. You know, like Samoans and people like that like to get them Hawaiians. For me, it was kind of cultural in the military. And um, yeah, lots of military guys have them. And, and it's not the only reason to get them. But I think that, you know, we do different cultural things. I think that it's okay. I think as long as if you have an argument that it's sinful, then I think, okay, don't get it. But I think a lot of people treat a lot of preferences as though they're sinful when they're not. They're just preferences. And some people just prefer to not have people around them that have tattoos, and that's okay. We don't have to hang out. Okay, next question. I hope you enjoyed story time. Next question. This one's kind of a tricky one. How do you inv- individually embrace your domains slash gifts when other people within your bubble have the same domains, gifts as you do? Now, I don't have any gifts, so that was kind of hard to say. No, I'm just kidding. I do have gifts, but just a few. And nobody has the same ones because I'm super special. So I don't know what that's like to have people that are around you that have the same. I'm, I'm joking. But I think this is, a, this is a tough one because you don't know the, you know the specific situation that this person's in and kind of what exactly they're talking about. I'm trying to think of like, you have gifts of like hospitality, evangelization, singing. Um, I think with, when it comes to your gifts, I think two things. One is you should figure out what they are. I think the best way to figure out what your gifts are is to do a bunch of different things. So I, I talked about this kind of uh, a couple weeks ago about how I volunteered so much in college because I just wanted to figure out what I was good at and what I was most passionate about and what I was drawn to. And I think I tried the Habitat for Humanity stuff. I was like, do I like construction type stuff? 
Do I like volunteering with people with special needs at the Special Olympics? Do I like working with the younger kids at Big Brothers Big Sisters, the older kids at the the Police Activities League? What kind of work do I want to do? And I discovered through all of this, just saying yes to a lot of things, um, that God uh, really wanted me to speak and to share my voice and to share my experiences. So I knew that God wanted me to share my story. He wanted me to speak, lead Bible studies, things like that. Evangelization was kind of my strong suit. Doesn't mean you get off scot-free of doing all the other things, but I think it's important for you to understand, for you to learn, for you to understand, yeah, what you're passionate about, what you feel most drawn to, what you're good at. Now, the second step, I think, is deciding how God wants you to employ those gifts and and how he wants you to hone them, right? Because just because we're talented or gifted at something doesn't mean we don't have to continue to develop and get better at using those gifts. And so we have to be thinking about that. We have to be thinking, like, how do I get better at this? And then also, how, God, how do you want me to employ it? How do you want me to utilize this? And that's another question I think kind of gets at this person's question of, if other people in your group have the same gifts, then maybe you need to find a new group. And that doesn't mean you have to find a new group of friends or something like that, but how does God want you to use it, right? If there's already a men's Bible study in my parish, like I do the podcast and I speak at other things, or maybe I try to find a new group of guys to start a new men's group with a new Bible study or whatever it might be and pair, pairing up with people, partnering with people who are, are have different gifts than you helps to kind of amplify the need for your gifts and what you're talented at and what you're good at. And so that would be my, my thoughts there on that. Um, and that's really our last question for the day. And so uh, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed story time. Most importantly of the uh, yield, uh, scat tat as we call it and so um yeah i hope you had a good time thank you so much for listening today thank you for being a part of seeking excellence means a lot that you take the time to listen to the podcast if you have time today and want to join us on locals i know you've been thinking about it you've been thinking about it for weeks why haven't you just done it already why haven't you just done it why haven't you just joined us on locals you can sign up for free if you want to upgrade to being a paid supporter you can do that for just ten dollars a month And with that, you'll get access to exclusive articles and things that I write and live streams and stuff like that. Soon, we're going to be starting our book study, uh, our book club together. Uh, That's going to be starting here in October. So we got just a couple weeks left until that begins. And I have started releasing articles. So I released part one and part two. Or, I mean, it depends when this comes out. I haven't decided when I'm going to release it yet. But um, I've at least released one article on BLM, Catholic Approach to BLM. And so that's going to be a three-part series similar to my Black and White Like Me series. So if you want to check that out, you can. All you got to do is join on Locals. It's free. We hope to see you over there. Continue to strive hard. Be your best. And God bless you.